Good morning, Anthem Church. Good morning. Yeah. All right. You guys look good this morning. I don't know if you know that. You should look in the mirror. You guys look really good. Yeah, nice work. <laughs> you got yourself here. Good job. <laughs> My name is Todd Van Voorst. I'm one of the elders here uh, at Anthem. I have the privilege of serving in that capacity. And we will be in Acts chapter 5 today as we continue our study in the book of Acts. That's what we do at Anthem Church here. We open our Bibles and just work our way through from left to right of the book that we're going through. So we're in Acts chapter 5. We'll be in verses 12 through 42 this morning. And as you find that in your Bibles or in your apps, the topic du jour is we're going to be talking about how our lives can largely be broken down into public and private spheres. Uh, so our lives can kind of be separated into public and private spheres. And the big idea this morning is a Christian's public life and private life must be married. You have these two things in your life and they need to be married. They need to have a relationship with each other. And uh, kids, uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, they intuitively understand this. Uh, adults when you have to pick your nose, you do it in private. Because you, you don't lie and pretend you don't pick your nose. I know you're grown up, but you still do it. <laughs> you, you don't always look for a Kleenex. Sometimes you do it. But kids, they just do it wherever they are. <laughs> they don't try and find a discreet place to do it. They don't even pretend like they shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> they just do it, and then they show you. <laughs> They're like a lot of times you in our house, are like, oh, digging for gold. <laughs> and like people come up, it's like, oh, that's fool's gold you found there. And that stuff does not spend. Um, and so the kids, kids uh, just take their private life and they march it right out into public. Um, that's no more obvious than when it comes to their privates, which they don't understand as being private. <laughs> I have, half the time my kids are walking around like Winnie the Pooh, you know, like a shirt, no bottoms. <laughs> and they're just walking around, companies over, they don't care. And it's like, I've, I've had a kid run through the living room before and say, nobody look, I'm wearing my privates. <laughs> it's like... Like, I don't think you understand exactly what that means. Um, Christians, it turns out, could learn a lot from kids. Christians, a lot of times, treat their faith as though it is a private matter. So they treat their faith as though it's their privates. Now, follow me with that. Like, they're a little embarrassed about them. It's only for them, something they only really worry about behind closed doors on very unique occasions. And they, only, they really don't know how to talk about it, and they don't really want to talk about it. And so Christians, a lot of times, actually create too much separation, where we could benefit from being more like kids, where we could actually get rid of this division where we keep our faith life private, and then our public life is very divorced from it. But the big idea this morning, like I said, is that a Christian's public life and their private life must be married. Now, your private life and your public life are two different things, but they should complement each other. The same way that in marriage, a man and a woman are two very different things. They see the world differently. They filter things differently. But yet, they come together under one cause, for one purpose. They have one last name, one team, one dream. And the more that those things are married, the more that they have a complementary relationship, that, that their lives actually tell one story. The husband and wife are unified. They tell one story. Do your public life and your private life tell different stories? Do they get along? Are they dating? Are they seeing other people? They should be married. Your public life and your private life should be married. Jesus must rule in our hearts where nobody else sees. And Jesus must rule in our lives where everyone else can see. This morning we're in Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 42. Let's look at the first two verses, 12 and 13. This is not a new problem, this idea of having a public and private life that don't get along super well. Look at, we'll see it here. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico, a very public place. But none of the rest dared join them, 
but the people held them in high esteem. So we see here the church regularly is out in public. It's their habit. They are regularly doing this among the people with their own hands, doing work in a very public place, Solomon's portico, for anyone to see. Anyone your neighbors can see out in public, they are joining together, and the church is coming together publicly. But you notice there in verse 13, some people stayed home. Some people stayed home. They, they privately held Jesus in high esteem. In their own hearts, privately, in their bedroom, in their quiet time in the morning, they held Jesus very high. They honored the apostles. People who give their lives for the gospel are honorable, and they believed that in private. But in public, they held him at a distance. So in private, they held him in high esteem. Oh, we love Jesus. So I have warm feelings when I think of Jesus. When I think about missionaries and people who give their lives for the gospel, warm feelings. But in public, they keep a safe distance from him. They don't want to be too close to be associated with that. Jesus spoke to this during his earthly ministry before he ascended into heaven. And he said it so often that it left a, a severe impression on his apostles, so much so that like all of them referenced it. I have it up on the screen for you. Matthew 10, Mark 8, Luke 9, and Luke again in, in chapter 12. Look what he said. This is something Jesus said, and it left an impact on them. So either he said it often, or he said it so authoritatively that no one missed this. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. The issue is before men. What's happening before men is the thing that Jesus is pointing out here. You see, like, that's the pinch point, right? That's the, that's the focus of this, of this command. What happens before people influences what happens before the Father. What you do before people testifies loudly to how Jesus will testify for, on your behalf before the Father. The quality of your private life is tested by its quantity in public. So the quality of what happens in private is really tested by how, how often the quantity of it in public. Does it show up? Like, yes, you have this robust devotional time in the morning and you, you saw the heavens opened as, as the coffee steamed up and it was just like, I just have to Instagram this. Like, people need to know that this is happening right now. The word is opening up, the coffee's steaming, everything's great. And then you go out into public and nobody would have known that anything like that happened. It doesn't show up. If it doesn't show up anywhere else, but at 6.30 in the morning when it's just you, that tests the quality of it. Like, what kind of quality of faith is that? If it only stays, if it's only good for that, if it only ministers to you in the privacy of your own heart, and it never shows up anywhere else, it tests the quality of that. If it's only in your quiet time and it's not in your out loud time, there's a problem. Now, it's good that God would show up in your quiet time, but if when you're out and about and talking and you're living out loud, when you're opening your mouth and it never shows up, there's a problem with the quality there. Conversely, the quality of your public life is tested by its sincerity in private. The quality of your public life is tested by its sincerity in private. A lot of people might have the opposite thing. They go out in public, Jesus, I'm all on team Jesus. I love Jesus. I love the apostles. I love church. I show up every Sunday. Here I am at Connection Group, faithful attender. And they go home and it doesn't show up there. They don't read their Bible. They don't pray with their kids. They don't sing songs in their heart. They don't even think about God when, he's not, when, it's, when there's not people to see it. So the quality of your public life is tested by its sincerity in private. If, if you only love Jesus at youth group, but you don't in your bedroom, that's a problem. If you just show up to church, and I love Jesus on Sunday morning for an hour, but I don't love him on Tuesday afternoon when I got bills to pay. If, that, if that's the, the quality of your life, there's a problem with the quality of your public life. And like I said, 
The big idea this morning is that your public life and your private life should be married. They should, they should, they should complement each other. They should be on the same team. They should have the same mission. They should have the same address. They should get their mail at the same place. Your public life and your private life should be married. They should be doing life together, happily married, I might add. <laughs> your public and your private life should be happily married because healthy, happy things are fruitful. Happy, healthy things grow. They produce fruit, and we'll see that. Look at verses 14 through 16. So this is what's happening. So you saw that the majority of people are part of, who, are, who are calling themselves Christians are part of this big meeting at Solomon's Portico. There's this small section, a few of them, who have this weird thing where they love Jesus but are afraid to meet him out in public. But most people are doing it correctly. Their public and private lives are married. And so look at what happens, verses 14 through 16. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. That's a crazy thing to say, given that we've seen thousands upon thousands of people in one sitting coming to Jesus. Now he's saying here, more than ever, believers are being added, multitudes of both men and women, so that they were even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. It's getting such a big thing that it's hard to get FaceTime with the pastors at this point. So they're like, even if his shadow just comes on me, that would be a win. It's as close as maybe I might even hope to get to him. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Healthy things grow. People were attracted to it. And healthy things produce health. People were coming to it, and what was happening was they were receiving healing because this healthy marriage of public and private life, of everything all for Jesus, was producing an attractive quality that people wanted on board with. And when they joined it, they were benefiting from its health by receiving health themselves. Now, I mentioned marriage. I am myself married, uh, and my wife Paige and I, we have seven kids. I have a picture of us uh, up on screen, and um, that's us on vacation. We're in the Badlands. My parents live out in Custer, South Dakota, so once a year we usually head out there. There's seven kids there if you're doing the math, um, and if, if you found yourself mentally counting, that's what other people do, it turns out, too. <laughs> like when we, go to, when we go on vacation, we're out in public, you can see people's heads nodding, doing the tally counts, like one, two, three, four. <laughs> And they usually count, because they're moving targets, they usually count doubles. So they're like, you have 15 kids. <laughs> I was like, I think you counted Phineas four times. Makes sense. <laughs> He's all over the place. But so, but like, like I've heard like somebody say, like, a crowd draws a crowd. <laughs> so if you bring this crowd into public, it usually attracts a crowd. Like, people are like immediately like, what's going on here? Are these, like, you, know, you get weird questions. Like, people just feel the freedom to be like, are these all yours? It's like, no, I just found them on... <laughs> We're just collecting them as we go. It started off with just me and Paige. Um, but, like, it's just kind of fun. And, and even more so, like, that's enough to attract it. But then, like, you show the next slide. Because we do stuff like this. So it's not enough that we're, like, a circus anyways. But then we just act like a circus. And I love this picture because it looks like we're, like, like Callista's floating away. <laughs> it's like, she's, like, ascending. We're like, no, it's too soon. <laughs> She's just like floating away. But so we do this stuff like this, and so we draw more attention to ourselves just by doing stuff like this. And my stock answer, I've just come to have an answer because I get asked it enough. And so sometimes before they even ask, because I'm seeing their head tick off the, the thing, I just look at it and I go, happily married, love Jesus. I'm happily married, I love my wife, if it wasn't obvious. <laughs> and we're happily married and we love Jesus. So it's not surprising that we want to expand that and share that with more people. 
It's not surprising that that healthy, happy marriage is producing disciples and making more and wanting to invite more and more people into this thing that we love so much. We love our marriage. We love our house. We want people to, to join in on that. We want there to be more of divorce who get to call themselves divorce and grow up in the world we do, not because we're doing it perfectly, but because we have a perfect God who we serve. And we're excited about what he's doing. We're excited about what he's done in mom and dad's lives. And we want to, we want to introduce you to your siblings we want to introduce you to Atticus and Penelope and Phineas, whose birthday was just on Friday, and Lorelai and Rocco and Calista and Juniper. We want to introduce you to all these people. We want you to get to know these people, and these can be your family because healthy things grow. But they also, like, like on vacation, they, they attract things, but they also attract a certain kind of attention. Like Paige has had things said to her by strangers that you wouldn't say to people, which are very rude. Like, and, and she gets, people feel the freedom to say things. So we see that here too, verse 17 and 18. You attract attention, but you also attract some negative attention sometimes too. So all this is happening, good things. People are being healed. What could be bad with that? Well, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled... With jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. It's interesting that Luke points out here that they were filled with jealousy. It's the exact same phrase that he uses, which the apostles earlier were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled. The Holy Spirit came down in tongues of fire. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. These guys were filled with jealousy. It's up to the brim. It's coming out their noses. It's coming out their mouth. They're filled to the brim. It's just pouring out of them. Jealousy, envy, and what's the envy about? The public sphere, right? They're, they're, the thing that they're jealous about, the thing that they're envious about is that the apostles are getting all of this public attention. Everybody seems to be flocking to these apostles, hearing their message. People are getting healed. They have favorable things to say about them. Even the people who don't dare to go out and meet with them still like them. They're still kind of with them in their hearts. And so the, the, the Sadducees and the high priest here are jealous because they're getting all this public attention. And so they put them in public prison. Just as a reminder, who owns the public sphere? You go ahead and worship Jesus in your heart. Just don't do it on the street. I don't care what you do in, public, in private. Go ahead. Love Jesus all you want. Stay out of my street. Do not bring him. Do not trot him out into public, or there will be consequences. So you see what's happening here is it's the public nature of it that really has them in sense. They're not jealous that they worship a different God. They're not jealous that in their hearts they esteem the apostles. They're jealous that they are in public taking their share of the public sphere, and they don't get to have that. But what God has joined together is in truth marriage, let no man separate. God has brought the public and the private life together in marriage. He wants those to be together, and he does not want anybody to separate them, so God himself acts on their behalf. Look at 19 through 26. They are in public prison because of their public confession of faith. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison, so they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. When you are working hard to live one life, 
you will get pushback. When you bring your private faith into public, you will get pushback. When you want to privately worship Jesus the way that you have done in public, you will feel pressure in private to do. You'll feel a million different distractions trying to get you to do stuff in private because the devil wants to take you off mission. There is pushback on this, but the good news is that God fights for us, just like he does for a husband and wife who walk down an aisle and make covenant vows to each other before him and their family and friends and say, we are one thing now. And the pastor says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. God is fighting for your oneness when you try to unify your life like this. And so God picks an angel and sends him down to pick a lock and smuggle them out of jail. (laughs) Like, how do you pick which angel to do that? Which angel would be good at breaking people out of prison? <laughs> it's like, I need an angel with a particular set of skills. <laughs> it's like, like, in this angel, like, you just assume, like, he's got other stuff going on. <laughs> like, he's not just, like, sitting around, like, doing nothing, and then God's like, hey, you want to do something? He's like, sure, what do you got? <laughs> he's like, do you know how to pick a lock? And he's like, no. He's like, well, I'll figure it out. I got YouTube, you know? <laughs> like, angels are busy doing stuff. Like, they have things going on. They have jobs. They have, they have, they're worshiping Jesus. They, so he, God takes him off mission in order to go get these people out of jail. I just want you to understand that this isn't just some flippant thing. Like God actually cares enough to take somebody and pull him out of whatever he was doing before and says, your job right now is to go rescue these people. God is interested in you worshiping him in one life, and he will do everything he can using his resources available to help you do that. So much, even in this case, to get them out of prison or to get them back out into public. Because do you see what the charge is? He gets them out of prison. What's he tell them to do? Go back and stand out in public again. He doesn't say, stop getting in trouble. I'm not going to have to keep sending people down to get you out of prison. Why do you keep getting yourself in trouble? My angels have other things to do, don't you know? <laughs> no, he comes, in down, he comes down and says, it looks like you got yourself in trouble, but it's the right kind of trouble. You want to go find some more? Let's go find some trouble. Go out there and find that. It's the kind of trouble you want because it's the kind of trouble that you get when you roll with me. Let's go find some more. And so he sends them right back out into public, exactly where he just took them from. He doesn't say, knock it off. He says, keep it up. Let's do this. I am, I am with you, and I will help you continue to do this. So again, the Sadducees escort them back into private because they don't want to have this conversation out in public where everybody can hear them. So again, but this time they're a little more tentative. They're not as aggressive because they're like, oh, the people really kind of dig these people. Maybe we should just usher them to the side quietly. Verses 27, 28. When they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Again, they, re- they reiterate, Stop talking about Jesus in public. I thought we've been over this. Worship him in private all you want. We don't care. Go do your devotional time. I don't care. Just stop talking about him in public. And that is the devil's compromise, right? That is, go ahead and let Jesus be Lord of your private life. As long as you serve Caesar in public, we're cool with that arrangement, honestly. Go ahead. Do whatever you want in private. Just don't do it in public. Keep Jesus in your heart. Keep him off your lips. Go ahead. Have fun. And furthermore, stop it. You're making us look bad. Do you catch that? It's like, stop doing this in public, not just because it, it irritates us, but because you're making us look bad because we killed him. And you're going around saying we shouldn't have. And that makes us look bad as though we did something wrong in murdering Jesus. So Peter, who's not into private religion or public opinion, responds, verse 29, but Peter and the apostles with him answered, 
we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, and we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. <laughs> I love Peter. <laughs> I love Peter. My son Rocco is named after Peter. Rocco means pebble. And uh, Peter's name, Cephas, is the name that Jesus gave him. His name was Simon. Jesus gave him the name Peter, which means Rocky. And so we named our son Rocco after the apostle Peter. I love Peter. They tell him, stop preaching. So what's he do? <laughs> he preaches to them. He's <laughs> like, oh, you don't like sermons? Here's, how about, how do you like them apples? How do you like this little sermon? And so he gives them a sermon. And what's the big idea of his sermon? What's the big idea of Peter's sermon? We must obey God everywhere. Because he's the God of everywhere. I can't make this devil's handshake with you and be like, okay, fine. We'll just worship him in private. We'll just come to an agreement. We'll, we'll, you guys can own the public sphere. We'll worship Jesus in private. Handshake. He's like, we can't do that. We don't know how to do that. We cannot obey God in private and disobey him in public. We refuse to make that compromise. We can't do it. We won't. We refuse to do it. Jesus is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. He's either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. And they say we refuse to compartmentalize our lives. We will worship him everywhere because he's the God of everything and everywhere. God made him Lord and Savior of every square inch of everything, including every square inch of you. The way that they were filled with jealousy, the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit. Every nook and cranny of you is to be filled with God. Every corner of your calendar, of your budget, of your hobbies, of your thought life, of your affections are to be given to him because he's the God of all of it. There is nowhere where he does not reign. There's nowhere where he does not deserve your praise. You cannot flatter God. You cannot give him so much and then have buyer's remorse and be like, that was probably too much. You can't. It's impossible. He deserves all of it. You could never outgive his worth. You could not give him more of your life than he deserves. Every square inch of your private and public life is his. And Peter and the apostles say, we can't compromise on that. He's either Lord of everything or he's not Lord of anything. And we refuse to do that because he is Lord and we've seen it with our eyes. We saw it. You killed him, he said. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. You can't even kill people right. Why would we follow you? <laughs> when you kill people, they don't even stay dead. You suck at this. <laughs> We're going to worship God because he's the God of everything. And yet, there is hope for those who have divided their lives. There is hope for those, for you this morning, if you're feeling the weight of like, I don't feel like my public and private life are equally yoked. They might not even be married. They might be dating. They might be seeing other people. And you feel the, you're feeling the weight of that this morning. There is hope for you. There is gospel for the Christian who has failed, for the person who has divided their lives, who has lived more heavily in one arena than the other at the expense of the other. Look what it says in verse 31. Why did Jesus go through all of this? Why did God make him Lord and Savior? Why has he declared him God of everything? to give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. Who's Israel? The ones who killed him. The very ones who killed him. He died so that they could be forgiven of killing him if they repented. To the very people who've divided their public and private lives, who've divided God, he has offered forgiveness. The very reason he died was to extend forgiveness to those who've fallen short. 
They killed him in public. They humiliate him. They called him cursed. Did you see that? You killed him by hanging him on a tree. That is the equivalent of cursing somebody. In Deuteronomy, it says anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. So they publicly said, this guy is cursed by God. That's why he's hanging on a tree. And Paul in Galatians says, he became a curse to set us free from our curse. Yes, he's cursed, but not because you said so, but because he took on the curse that you deserved, the very curse that you deserve for putting him up there in the first place. He is forgiving you by doing it to anyone who would ask for forgiveness. He has done this so that repentance and forgiveness of sins can be offered to people who have failed him and let him down and divided their lives because God raised him. You killed him, God raised him. You humiliated him, God exalted him. You called him cursed, God calls him leader and savior. Whose definition will win? God's does. He is these things because God said so. He died to forgive those who denied him. And so that's good news for people who've done this. So the people hearing this, Peter is saying, you killed him. You don't, you don't miss the thing. He's saying, your sins put Jesus on that tree. But if you repent, that very thing forgives you for doing that. And that's the offer he's making to all of us this morning. He's saying, the sins that you committed of dividing your life are the reasons why Jesus had to die in the first place. But if you repent and agree with God, forgiveness is offered because of that very thing. That very thing is the thing that forgives you. And so how do these men hearing that, they respond, they lean in and be like, oh, so what we did was wrong, but we can be forgiven for that? Praise the Lord. Where do I sign up? Let's get baptized. Let's do this. Sign me up for discipleship. I want to join a connection group. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. (laughs) They did not respond to the altar call. (laughs) Or they came forward, but they came forward with guns blazing. They did not like this message. And so this just goes to show when you preach the good news, some people will only hear the bad. (laughs) You can open your mouth faithfully and say, you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but God in his grace has provided Jesus to live the perfect life you should have lived, to die in your place the death you should have died. And he rose him from the dead to show that he has made him Lord and Savior of all things. And they will hear did you just call me a sinner? Did you say that I fall short? It's like, is that the only thing in that whole thing you heard? I just told you good news, and the only thing you heard was that I called you a sinner. How is that the only thing you heard? Well, the Puritan said, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. The same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. You preach the good news because it is the good news, and some people will be hardened by it. They will only hear the bad part of it, and you can't control that. You just share the news. Because when you do that, some people will hear it and they will begin to melt. The same message might produce different responses. That's not up for you to control. You preach the good news because it's what God said is good. And we rejoice in it and we're happy. And some here we see might even show signs that they're beginning to melt. Look, verse 34. A Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and leave them alone, let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Now, Gamaliel is not signing up to be a Christian. But he's warming up to the idea of like, let's just maybe ride this out a little bit. He's not just, 
He's at least melting a little bit. And you see what his evidence for it is. He's like, people have risen up before and claimed to be somebody. And a bunch of people follow them because he's a dynamic leader. And what the judge of the test of these things is when you kill the leader, see what happens. In Theodos' case, killed him, 400 people. Ah, movement's done. The leader's dead. What's the point? It was all driven by the leader. In this other guy's case, Judas the Galilean, he rose up, people followed him, he dies, movement's over. In this case, people rallied around Jesus. We killed him, and it's growing. The movement's growing. This is different than anything we've ever seen before. People are growing because the dead man, they say, is alive. They are, they are, this movement is not just fizzling out because we killed the leader. It's actually taking on steam. This is different. Maybe This is the kind of thing that sounds like something maybe that God would be doing. Now, he's not ready to sign on yet. He's not going to join up and sit at the feet of Peter and take lessons about what life really is about. But he's warming up to the idea. At least he's willing to sit back and kind of test the waters and see what's happening. Now, this might be some of you this morning. You might be here because your parents made you come. You might be here because your roommate suggested it or because you felt like you should come. And you're not really bought into this thing, but you're kind of warming up to it. You're like, we'll see. I've seen people get excited about Jesus before. We'll see. I've seen people get excited, and then I've seen them lose interest. We've seen it. Like, well, I'll give it a while. Maybe you have a relative. Maybe your daughter, your son got really excited about Jesus. And you're like, well, we'll see if this really sticks or not. Gamaliel's kind of in this place where he's like, let's just let this thing ride out, and we'll see what it really is. God is doing a work here in Columbia, Missouri, at Anthem Church, and it is growing. And we believe that by faithfully teaching his word and making disciples that make disciples, we will see his kingdom spread and expand like yeast in a loaf as it gradually grows. It's a slow process, but faithfulness drives it. And we will see God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. As we continue to do what he has called us to do, we will see this growing more and more. So if you're warmed up to it and you're not quite bought in, hang in there. God's got things going. Like This is, this is only the beginning we have yet to see what God is going to do. Hang around. Watch. See the sincerity of this thing in the private lives of the people who call Jesus Lord. Watch it play out in private. Watch it play out in their public spheres as we take our private faith into our public lives. The best thing we can do for other people is to live one life. Live a married life. Have our private and our public lives married. The best thing you can do for your unbelieving friends, neighbors, family is to live one life, especially when it gets hard. Especially, that's when they're really looking, when it gets really hard, when it costs you something to do it. Look at the end of our passage here, 39 through 42. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ that the Christ is Jesus. Every day, in public and in private, they lived like Jesus was the Lord. They lived like Jesus was the Lord of their private life, of their thought life, of their web browser, of their smartphone. They lived like God was, was the Lord of their job, of their behavior, of their public demeanor, of their discourse on social media. They lived like Jesus was Lord of all of it, in their marriages, in their families, in their friendships, with their neighbors, at the coffee shop, at the gym. They lived like Jesus was Lord everywhere. It says in the temple or from house to house, wherever they were, in private or in public. And it said their entire lives 
were lived in a way that they never ceased teaching and preaching that Jesus was the Lord. They never ceased. Any area of their life you could look in and see how Jesus was Lord was connected to what they were doing at that moment. It all mattered because Jesus was Lord of all of it. Again, let me revisit the big idea one last time for you. A Christian's public life and private life must be married. That's what God's desire is for you as an individual, and that's what God's desire is for our community to see on display. When we live like this, more than ever, people will be added to our numbers. More than ever, disciples will be made, and real disciples, not just people who show up for the the event to attend a thing, but people who are bought in at the heart level, who will attend public events because privately things are happening. There's a marriage that's happening between these things. To enjoy the benefits of love behind closed doors, you must be married to the duties of love in broad daylight. When we see, this, when we see these things out of conjunction, we immediately recoil and say, ugh, something is wrong, right? If somebody is enjoying the benefits of love behind closed doors and then in private, very distant, unwilling to identify, we'd be like, there's a problem. That's gross. Don't do that. Ugh. Conversely, if you want to enjoy the benefits of love in broad daylight, look at me. Look at my, look at my selfie. Like, look how cute she is. You're going to want to, like, Take care of her behind closed doors. Be kind to her. Don't just show her off. Don't just show off Jesus in public. If you want to enjoy the benefits of love in broad daylight, you also must be married to the duties of love behind closed doors. There are duties in private and in public, and there are benefits in public and in private. And when we marry our public and private lives, God is glorified in us, and others around us will see that. The way we respond to the preaching of God's word here at Anthem Church is through communion. And so that's why these tables are set up around here. Gluten-free is at the two front ones, and there's two in the middle and then two towards the back as the band comes up and plays. I invite you to make your way there if you are a Christian. If you're feeling convicted by the message this morning, remember the reason the table is set is because we sin in the first place. If we didn't need a Savior, these tables wouldn't be here. But God saw our sin, He saw the need for us to have healing and forgiveness for the very thing of dividing our lives. And so these tables have been set for those who are feeling convicted and come to these, and you can expect to receive repentance and forgiveness. When you come in repentance, you can expect to leave, walk back down the aisle with forgiveness. This table was set for those who confess their sins and say, I have been living a divided life or at least in a strange life. Maybe they're married, but they're not getting along super well. Maybe they're seeing other people, and they need to break that off. And my public and private life need to be on one, one page. They need to start getting their mail at the same address. And so we come together publicly as a group to a table to have a private experience. We privately take communion. You take this yourself, individually, but yet we're doing it together corporately. This is a public event where we come together and show publicly what's happening privately because those two things should go hand in hand. And when you come, come to this table and receive forgiveness. If you don't worship Jesus in private this morning, if that's not your testimony, you're here as a guest, you're not really, you don't pretend to even worship Jesus, don't join on this. Like we said, it should go together. If this isn't true, don't publicly worship Jesus here at this table if it's not a private reality for you. If that's not a thing, just feel free to stay in your seat. We don't want you to be a hypocrite and come and take something that doesn't mean anything to you. But we do invite you to join. This table is set for you. We invite you to join this thing that God is doing. And just like Gamaliel, I'd say, hang in there. Just keep watching. See what God does. See if he won't change the world as he changes hearts, as he changes lives, as we seek him as Lord of all, of our individual life, of our private life, of our public life. See if he doesn't transform everything. 
then you are welcome to join. We want you to join. There's plenty of bread. There's plenty of love to go around. There's plenty of homes to worship in. And there's always a seat here available for you to worship with us on Sunday morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being God of everything. That when I worship you in the privacy of the morning, when my family's asleep and it's just me and the pages of your word, you're there. That when I'm at work and things are hard and everyone can see me, you're there. When I'm at the gym, when I'm at the coffee shop, wherever I am, you're there. And you're God of all of it which means there's meaning and purpose in everything I do. There's no thing that I do that's meaningless. None of it's just throw away. It all has the potential to be redeemed and caught up into something bigger than just my tiny life. Help us this morning to have unified lives where in private we have fulfilling quiet time where we seek your face and hear your voice in the quiet of the morning where the only voice other than our own is yours. Help us to have those experiences. Help us in the public domain to share your words out loud with those around us where the only person sharing your, your hope might be us. Help your name, your voice, your word to dominate our minds, our hearts, our affections, our practices, our calendars, our events, our schedules. You are God of everything. Help us to align our hearts with that. Help us to stop dividing things and to conform our lives to that, that we might enjoy it, not as a, just a sheer duty of having to do it, but the delight that comes from having one life where you're everywhere and everything to all of us. We ask this for the sake of your son, Jesus, who died in our place for our sins. We ask it for your glory, that your kingdom may come on earth as it already is in heaven, that we might see more added to our numbers, more, not just in a public sphere, but more who privately are worshiping you and added to our numbers publicly as both grow, as seats are filled and hearts are filled. We seek this, we ask this, we ask your blessing on it. You said till the end of the age, you are with us as we do this. We hold you to your word. We believe your promises and we live our lives for you alone that others may come to do so as well. In your name we pray. Amen.